You are listening to Matter of Theology, a podcast production that deals with church and cultural issues from a biblical standpoint. We stand firm on the sufficiency of Scripture, hitting every topic with an open Bible and the boldness to say things that others are afraid to. And now, here's the host of Matter of Theology, Chris Huff. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in to Matter of Theology, the place where theology matters because everything, all of life, um, inside, outside the church, it doesn't matter. It's all a matter of theology. Uh, my name is Chris. I am joined by my brother, Drew, yep. and um, we have got a couple of guests on today. We will introduce them shortly. Uh, so, But uh, just, just running down the list of announcements, as always, um, uh, you guys know this. We are a part of the, the Christian podcast community. Um, and uh, so so head on over there. Check out uh, multiple Christian podcasts. Um, for whatever reason, the phrase to wet your whistle is coming to mind. I have no idea why. There you go. That's what you get when you're a little tired and uh, have not had so much caffeine today. So um, so head on over there. Check it out. Um, uh, Andrew uh, Rappaport, of course, is the uh, the head of Striving for Eternity Ministries and runs the pr- Christian podcast community. Reminded everybody of the trip with it, uh, to Israel with Justin Peters is coming up. So there are five spots left. Prices, price increase is coming soon. Mm. So check that out. Um, you know, he yeah. keeps asking me. Am I going to go on that yeah. trip? And like, I keep bro, saying, until you pay for it, I'm not going. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't have five plus grand to drop. Um, not even close. So, uh, so unless you're going to allow me to carry your bags and pay my way, then yeah. then I'm, I love I'm you, Andrew. But yeah, I just can't, man. I can't. That's it, brother. I would love to. I would absolutely love to. Don't get me wrong. And my family would have to come too because I don't want to be away from them for that long. There you go, man. There you go. Yeah. So uh, also coming up, we got the Cruciform Conference, uh, first weekend of June 4th and the 5th. Um, that, of course, is going to be in Indianapolis, Indiana. The theme this year is still standing, the 500th anniversary of, of the Diet of Worms, uh, Martin Luther. Uh, so we are excited about that. Both Drew and myself are speaking, along with Brandon Scalf, Justin Peters, Andrew Rappaport, Brett Baggett, and a whole host of others. Uh, so check at, check that out. Registration is open uh, at the lowest price right now. If you are a lady and you want to come, you get a huge discount. You're mm-hmm. a ministry leader. You get a discount. Um, uh, we do not want uh, the finances to be um, a, a hindrance or a hurdle. So uh, if you have any questions about that, please feel free to reach mm-hmm. out. So also, wait, hold oh, on. Let's, go ahead, bro. What you got? Since we're talking about cruciform, let's yeah. also throw in the cruciform Bible Institute. Hey, uh, because come on, we man. help run that too. Uh, we are about to start our second semester in existence, uh, which is exciting. I think Kofi is teaching new Testament. We got uh, a new uh, old Testament survey teacher. Um, Jared sent me the schedule, but I haven't really looked at it. Uh, He didn't send it to me, so I can't talk. (laughs) And of course he's, he's teaching, he's teaching Greek. Uh, Guys, if you are looking for seminary level education, but you don't have all the money to spend on a seminary, then look into Cruciform Bible Institute. Classes are cheap. You you can learn Greek. Uh, Jared is getting certi- finishing up his certification in Hebrew as well. And our hermeneutics class, hermeneutics and exegesis, is taught from uh, one of the Greek classes. So you're learning hermeneutics and, and exegesis going through Greek texts. Um, so how cool is that? And I will say most people are signing up 
because of the Greek classes. Everyone wants yeah, to take Greek. I don't know why. Up. I will actually, I do know why because I love yeah. Greek too. Um, but there's there's a lot of things coming for that, and we do we are partnered with uh, Grace Bible Theological Seminary, Jeffrey yeah. Johnson, and I believe I don't know if it's still in the works or if it's official yet, but also a partnership with New St. Andrews, um, yeah. Doug Wilson and those guys. Uh, so just, you want more information, head on over, check out Cruciform Bible Institute. But what are we doing on today's episode, Chris? Man, today we have, uh, we have the guys on from the Do Theology podcast. We have uh, Jeremy and Ken on with us. What's going on, guys? Not too much. How are you? Good, man. Good. Doing good. Doing good. We are approaching sundown out here in Mormon land. Nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. So so for our listeners, if you don't know, Do Theology is a part of the Christian podcast community as well. Um, so you can go check them out from the Christian podcast community.org. Um, subscribe to them. They have, man, they get a lot of guests on there, which is really cool. Um, but for our listeners, tell us how you got into podcasting, um, what your podcast is about, how you kind of do things over there. Sure. Yeah. And maybe we could, since we're do theology and we're on the uh, matter of theology podcast, we can mash up our names. Yeah. <laughs> this, this could be some crazy mashup <laughs> of names. <laughs> Do matters of theology. <laughs> there, okay, great. There we go. <laughs> for, for one episode. Welcome to the do matter of theology. <laughs> do theology yeah. matter of theology. Do theology because everything's a matter of theology. Just do there it. There we go. Yeah, Perfect. there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, so the genesis of our, of our podcast started about 10 years ago. Um, I was an intern for a youth ministry in Kansas City where my wife and I were living at the time. And I had a very small youth group of sheltered children who grew up in Christian homes with a couple others uh, sprinkled in who weren't uh, raised in Christian homes. And I was introducing them to basic Christian theology and doctrine, as well as basic Christian morality. And it became very apparent to me that these kids had no real idea about what was most important and what really was debatable or left up to personal opinions. And so what I ended up doing was I, I got these big poster boards and I put three columns on them, the three columns that ended up on the chart that we use. But the first column was called primary doctrine. The second column was called secondary doctrine. And the third column was called doubtful things taken from uh, Romans 14, personal opinions. And I put a whole bunch of doctrines on slips of paper and I broke them up into two groups, gave them the same slips of paper and said, put the doctrines where they go in the right columns. <laughs> and I nice. gave them basic definitions of each and they were all over the board. Uh, <laughs> there was, <laughs> there was one group that put abortion in the doubtful things category. And it was like, wow. okay, well, that's a red flag. Um, so uh, things of that nature were just popping up and using that kind of system to biblically define where these things should go really stimulated my thinking, even after that internship and, just developing these conversations as I've witnessed Christians on the internet go back and forth and argue about things that aren't important and kind of pass over things that really are important and wanting to get that conversation out there about, Hey, the Bible actually directs us in this conversation. 
And so, uh, Ken and I started the podcast a little over a year ago. We went to Bible college together and, um, have been friends since then. And, uh, it's just been a fun time having these types of conversations sometimes with authors and pastors and, uh, you know, different names that people know, uh, and other times just me and him kicking some stuff around. So, uh, I don't, is there anything I left out, Ken? I don't think so. I think you pretty well covered most of it. I mean, I think, you know, m- my interest in this stuff kind of came along a little bit later, you know, Jeremy was, was dealing with it right there with that youth group. And my interest kind of came later as I was just interacting in a local church and dealing with how do we talk about these different things. And so just, just between uh, facing some personal conversations with people in my local podcast together. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. I don't know. If the, it seems like there's some lag and I don't know if that's on my end or what, and probably on my end. Cause I just got a notification that said my internet connection is slow, which is weird. Dun, 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 dun. I know. Oh. Anyways, <clears throat> moving along. <laughs> so what we are going to be talking about is kind of that chart you were talking about the, the primary things, the secondary things, and then, uh, you know, uh, doubtful, doubtful things. Um, and, you know, really one of the things Chris and I, Chris and I talk about, cause we've, we, we've had this discussion, not, not on the podcast at all. Um, but just between us is what things do constitute primary issues, secondary issues, um, uh, third, you know, third, fourth, fifth level, level issues. And one of the things we, we always say is it's all primary. <laughs> it's all why because everything deals with with a hermeneutic right and how you how you interpret scripture um so but i mean let's let's really just jump into it into some of these yeah. some of these primary things now you may be listening and you may go you know i i don't know about primary issues i hear people talk about uh open hand issues closed hand issues you know but i don't really know what they are or what they're what they're talking about so if we had to say what are the primary issues uh what would what are the first things that come come to mind well first uh if anybody wants to see our chart they can look at it at dotheology.com/chart that might be helpful even as we're talking yeah. through these things today to just pull it up as long as you're not driving somewhere, <laughs> keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> yeah. And I'll link, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah. yeah that'd be great. Yeah. So do theology.com slash chart and it, you can see uh, the chart there. So the primary doctrines column, we've identified things that these, are, this is truth that affects fellowship with others. These are issues that are definitional to Christianity. So these are things that if you remove one of these things, you do not have historic orthodox biblical christianity any longer mm-hmm. and so and, and these are defined um, as transcending hermeneutics so people uh, come to scriptures with uh, different hermeneutical grids right but as long as you're coming with with a faithful hermeneutic that that affirms the that scripture is the word of god you're going to land on these issues and you're going to we're going to be in agreement on these issues mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, you know we kind of have broken down this column into three subcategories the first is the gospel message. These are things that are integral to the gospel. If you're sharing the gospel of Christ with somebody, what do you say? What do you communicate? Well, you got to mm-hmm. communicate the sinfulness of man. Yes. The unique nature of Christ. He is God in human flesh, his divinity, but he's also truly man, right? He's, mm-hmm. He is the God man. 
uh, the substitutionary atonement, Jesus Christ dying on our behalf, the bodily resurrection. Sometimes that gets left out in, in a gospel yep. presentation, but Paul identifies it as integral to the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And then justification by faith alone, uh, that, that we are saved not through our own works, but through faith and faith alone. Right. So now let's take, let's take that gospel message because we talk about the gospel. Uh, we reference the gospel all the time, but part of the problem in churches today is if you were to ask 10 different people in, in the average American church, what is the gospel? You'll get 10 different answers. Right. And, exactly. and that is a huge problem that stems from the pulpit because pastors aren't teaching the gospel. And really it leads me to believe if those pastors even know the gospel at all. And so my wife and I, we were at a, a church service this past Sunday and not one time, not one time did the pastor mention the gospel. He, he, he made sure to throw in that he, he clings to and believes to his guns first, as well as his Bible and I'm going, what about the gospel? <laughs> Your guns will only save you from flesh. They won't save you from eternity. Mm. So, um, so, so let, let, let's, let's look at the gospel and, and let's break this down and why, why these are primary issues uh, or primary doctrine for the church, the sinfulness of man. Now, this goes all the way back to the garden, original sin. Why is that important? How does that affect us today? Mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me, let me jump in for a second too, and just say that, you know, uh, the only thing I would add under primary doctrine is first and foremost, this isn't truth that affects fellowship with others. First and foremost, this is truth that affects our relationship to God. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, the problem is enmity. We are, and, and speaking to the sinfulness of man, we are at enmity with God. We are his enemy because of our sin. And, and, and so, so we have to start there. We have to start with the sinfulness of man has, has made us an, an enemy with God. You know, I think of Romans chapter three, there's no one who seeks God, no one. Uh, think of Ephesians chapter two. We are, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, we were, we were by our own choice and volition on a, on a fast track straight to hell because we love our sin. That is the nature that we are born with. Um, and, and so, so I, I wholeheartedly agree. I mean, so that would be the only thing I would say too, is, is yes, the, the, the gospel, the primary, uh, doctrine does affect our relationship with others. Uh, but first and foremost, the most important relationship that we have and will ever have is with the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Um, you know, so, so the, the, the gospel issue, the gospel message, you're absolutely, you guys are absolutely right. Um, uh, th- th- those things must be there. Um, you, you must offend the sinner. Uh, the, the sinner must feel the weight of their sin uh, in order for a proper gospel presentation uh, to, to, to be had. Um, absolutely, 110%, could not agree more. Sorry, Drew, I didn't mean to cut you off. But. No, you're good. You're good. And, and the only reason that we can have fellowship with others is because of our common confession in the gospel. And so Correct. it's mm-hmm. through being reconciled to God, through the finished ministry of Christ uh, on the cross as, as our priest, the one who has paid the price for our sins. It is through that uh, confession that we actually have fellowship. And, and you know, we look back at uh, perhaps we can remember hokier 
Christian days. I don't know. Christians are still pretty hokey, but you think back to uh, uh, a lot of the gospel presentations that used to be really popular and like bad news, good news and stuff like that, you know, that we can kind of be condescending toward, but the heart of it is what needs to be talked about. I mean, that is Mm -hmm. what's at the heart of the gospel. There is bad news. That's why gospel good news exists. And um, it's like people don't want to deal with the sinfulness of man. Yeah. They don't want to touch on that. They want to head straight for the good news. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just er earlier today, uh, you know, I, I mentioned I'm in Mormon land. I I live in Utah. (laughs) I pastor out here. And earlier today I had a meeting with a couple of missionaries, local uh, LDS missionaries and, you know, looked them in the eye and told them they were going to hell. That's Mm -hmm. what we have Mm -hmm. to do. And, um, but follow that up with, if you stop relying on your own works and you rely completely on the finished work of Christ, you will experience the soul rest that you've never had. And they have to understand the, the horrible condition they're in before they can ever appreciate what Jesus is offering in the gospel. That's right. You know, you, you mentioned meeting with, with Mormons. Um, I think I've told this story on our podcast, but I've had some missionaries come to my house and they don't come to my house anymore. Um, (laughs) But this was, I think this was about maybe three, three years ago. Um, you know, they always come in twos. You usually have one who's on his second year of mission and one who's on his first year mission. Um, and you know, I brought them in and they were here for about two and a half to three hours. And we were, we were just talking through stuff and more towards the end. Um, one of the guys, he, he, he's, you can tell there's some weight bearing on him as to what I'm saying. And he's got tears coming down and he, he looks at me and he says, what do you believe will happen to me if I die tonight? And I looked at him because he, he had just, he, they had been talking about their works-based system. Right. And I looked at him and I said, if you were to die tonight, you will suffer the eternal judgment and wrath of God. And I do not want that for you. That is why I'm telling you, you must repent of this false ideology and you must turn to, to the one true Jesus. Um, and probably about five minutes after that, they, they were up and gone, but that, but that's the thing you have to deal with that sinful aspect. You, you, you have to call it out because, you know, groups like Mormons, they rely heavily on works, right? It's what is it? It's, you know, you're saved after all you can do. The problem is you can never do enough. So you never know. That's yeah. why that, that's why Jesus comes and and the gospel is freeing from those works. You know, as we get into justification by faith uh, uh-huh. down at the bottom of that, but uh, it frees us from that burden because yeah. Jesus did all the work. Right. right. Well, Drew, and, I, I think to you know what we shared. Sorry, I'm sorry, buddy. That's twice I've done that now. Um, you know, I think back to our our last episode on fear. You know that quote by Doctor Parsons who who said that, you know, people don't want a God of holiness and wrath. They only want a God of love and peace. They don't want a God who hates their sin. They want a cuddly teddy bear God who will be their buddy. The reality is, is that people don't want to fear God because they don't want God in their lives. Mm-hmm. And some professing Christians don't fear him because they don't actually know the God of scripture while they presume upon his grace to save them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's, uh, 
I mean, get, get going right to what you're, you know, what you've been talking about. That's exactly what, mm-hmm. what you find in, in a lot of churches um, mm-hmm. and professing quote unquote evangelical churches. When, when it comes time for the gospel, it's God is love. It's... God is love. God's got a wonderful plan for your life. And, and no mention of sin, no mention of repentance, no mention of uh, the monergistic work uh, of salvation wrought in our lives that brings about that repentance. So yeah, right. I agree. It's Our Caleb whole, Christianity. Yeah. Amen, bro. <laughs> Our yeah. whole culture screams about the the importance. It's the therapeutic self where we're just got to make mm, ourselves yeah. feel good and feel good about yeah. ourselves. And that's sure. the most important thing. And yeah. so when we are impacted by that kind of mindset, it's tempting for us to shy away from these aspects of the gospel that are sure. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's morality, right? It's an yeah. overemphasis of morality and it damns just yeah. as much as immorality. You know, that's that's actually a blessing to uh, the closing of all the Christian bookstores across the country because the, <laughs> right. their, their theology section is, you know, that big. It's about the size of a stick of gum, really. And uh, uh, but the majority of the store is what is that self-help? It's that love yeah. yourself, morality uh, type thing. Nothing is centered on actually who God is. Right. Um, but yeah, it's that, frightening to think about how many copies of Girl, Wash Your Face are in those bookstores oh, versus how many yes. copies of The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. Yes, right, on, right, exactly. Yeah, but that, but dealing with the sinfulness of man, now we move into uh, kind of the second point on, on this chart, and that's the unique nature of Christ. Now, this is huge. This is huge because one of the most popular, quote-unquote, ministries in the country or in really around the world is Bethel, Mm. Bethel, Todd white, and they teach canonic theology. They teach kenosis. Um, But the unique nature of Christ, and you touched on it, Ken, when you were um, going through this, uh, the, the hypostat, what we would call the hypostatic union, the dual nature of Christ, the divinity and, and uh, the man, the manhood, uh, why is that so important? Well, it's absolutely critical because if we, if Jesus Christ is not truly God, if he's just a man as we are, then he has no way to be perfect. He has no, he cannot be the perfect substitute for us. He cannot be the perfect lamb of God. It just mm. cannot happen if he is merely a man as we are. So God, he must be God in human flesh. Now, the other part of that is human flesh. He must be human flesh. We have to have a human sacrifice for our sins. We mm-hmm. cannot be redeemed. The, the blood of goats and, and bulls cannot take away our sin. That's what Hebrews talks about. We needed yep. that human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. There was to be a substitutionary atonement for us. It had to be in this, this amazing, incredible, mind-blowing thing of the hypostatic union the God-man, Jesus Christ, taking on humanity, truly God and truly man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his perfections that exist because of his true divinity played themselves out, revealed themselves in his true humanity, in his act of obedience as he walked the earth for 33 years, truly, fully, thoroughly, utterly living out righteousness. And that is the righteousness, of course, that gets imputed to our account through the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know when. When I think about if when we get away from this unique nature of Christ and we say, well, 
he wasn't fully God, that he came just as a man. What does that tell us? That tells us that in our human finite nature and being, we can then do what Christ did in living out the law. The problem is the whole point of the law is to demonstrate you can't do it, that you do need a savior. It's a mirror that shows our imperfections and what we cannot do and points us to what we desperately need. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's you got yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, that was brother. That was exactly what I was going to say. It, it's, uh, it, it is our tutor. Um, you know, and if you, if you, if you think about it, uh, the scripture says this, Paul said it in Romans that, that the law weakened by the flesh wasn't enough to save. And so God had to rescue us from his wrath and how he could do uh, the only way that he could do that was, was, was through the shed blood of his son, co-equal and co-eternal with the father. Uh, th- there are so many that, that seek to, to, to deny the deity of Christ. Um, and, and, and I mean, they just completely miss over, you know, something like what you see in Colossians chapter, th- chapter two, verse nine. Uh, and this is the legacy standard uh, version saying this for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And in him, you have been filled, who is the head over all rule and authority. So, so you, you, can't, you can't deny that. We cannot deny who Christ is and call ourselves Christians. Little Christ, we cannot do that. Um, we have to realize, and I had a conversation today uh, with coworkers who were asking, this guy was reading this book by Richard Dawkins uh, called The God Delusion. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was asking about the, you know, well, well, so if, uh, if, if Jesus came through the lineage of David and Joseph came, well, came through the lineage of David, then that doesn't mean that Jesus is the Messiah because Joseph wasn't his father. Um, and, and, and it speaks to, and this is a guy who, who, who was in church and played in praise bands and, and, and stuff like that. So we had a conversation about that. We had a conversation about who Christ is. We, uh, I, I pulled up, uh, Col- you know, Colossians one, he, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for in him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and, and, and for him. And that him is Christ. And so then we had a conversation about adoption. And then we had a conversation about how Christ, what Jesus uh, was still the rightful heir of Joseph um, and, and, and how that plays out into the lineage of David. But, um, you know, all of that stuff is important. We have to recognize that you have to confess that um, and, and, and believe that in order to be a Christian, you cannot deny the deity of Christ. Drew, to your point, you cannot, you cannot like Bill Johnson, like Chris Valentin, like all those, those heretics. I'm just going to heretics that at, at Bethel, you cannot deny the deity of Christ and say that Jesus only did what he did as a man empowered by the Holy spirit. That's not the whole picture. You have failed. And you, if you profess that and profess faith in Christ, you do not possess faith in Christ if you deny his deity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of groups that do yeah. do violence to this, oh, brother, this vital doctrines in yeah. so many ways yeah. that diminish Christ's deity. You know, even, even the many that claim to be Christians, you know, the whole, the progressive Christianity movement that would 
just push down the right. the deity of Christ and right. and just say he was a great teacher. It's like no, no, this that's not. Oh. It's so much more than that. And yeah, it is. Yeah. There are basically two things that every wayward movement does. They they throw shade toward the Bible. They they say you can't trust the Bible. That's the first thing they do. And the second thing they do is they mess with the nature of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, put God in a box, Jeremy. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what I've found when it comes to the nature of Christ, with whether it's Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, whoever, when they say, "Yeah, we believe Jesus." Just ask them, "Is Jesus the one true God of the universe?" And that usually cuts the issue pretty quick. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Which Jesus? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so let's let's move kind of through these, just because I know we want to get to some of the other stuff. Um, but I really want to hammer out this, you know, the gospel because none of these things really matter unless we've got the gospel understood. Mm-hmm. Um, so substitutionary atonement. Uh, what's really funny is, uh, I think it was about a year ago, I was talking with someone through social media, we were commenting back and forth on a post. And I was explaining, you know, what Christ did because of our sin. Uh, we owed a debt. Christ came, he took that debt, and he paid the penalty for us. And he said, it sounds like you're, you're talking about penal substitutionary atonement. And I said, exactly. You got it. Nailed it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But substitutionary atonement. Christ is our substitute. Now, why is he our substitute? Like, why, why, why don't we just pay for our own sins? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Technically the word atonement isn't in the new Testament. It's the word halasmos and it's different uh, variations. It's got a couple of noun variations, hilasterion, and it's also got a verb form too. Um, and the word each time is in reference to propitiation. That's the, the new Testament word which means a satisfaction and a covering. And so you mean, it doesn't mean like Richard Rohr, like at one, (laughs) there wasn't a price to be paid only a union to be named. My gosh. If Richard Rohr said it, uh, it's not true. So, uh, (laughs) so amen. (laughs) Propitiation uh, is the idea that Jesus satisfied the father's wrath. You read Romans three and especially Romans five It is very clear in Romans 5, I think somewhere around verse 9, what Jesus did was satisfying the wrath of God. And if we want to remove the element of wrath, we lose the purpose of the crucifixion. The whole purpose of Jesus dying in our place was to bear the just wrath of God against our sins. And if that gets taken out and it gets twisted to be some sort of love story or he's ransoming us because we're so precious or whatever it is, we're diminishing the weight of our sin. We're making it smaller than it really is in God's eyes. And we're exalting ourselves to make ourselves look better in God's eyes that we're so precious. He couldn't live without us. The the K love gospel. And Jesus comes and he just happened to die because he loved us so much Mm -hmm. instead of understanding that what he was doing was a judicial action in bearing the wrath that we justly deserve. Right. That's right. Um, And also what it does is it diminishes the holiness of God. Because God is holy, there has to be uh, there there has to be a penalty for sin. So so Christ has to come in our place to pay that penalty, which does what removes that wrath. But the penalty the sacrifice is made. The penalty is made in order to uh, maintain the and reveal the holiness 
of God. Because God is holy, he cannot tolerate sin. So sin has to be done away with. It has to, the penalty for sin has to be paid. Mm. Yes. Yeah, yes. this is the, the only way. Sub, uh, substitutionary atonement is the only way for God to be both just and the justifier of those right. who have faith in him. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now let's now let's let let's skip the next one and move into justification. We'll come back to bodily resurrection, but because we're talking about uh, justification, God being justified because of the work on the cross, we are justified by faith alone. But the term justified, how are we justified because of what Christ did? Yes, the word justified is is a it's a legal rendering. In, in God's heavenly courtroom, right? It's a, it's a declaration. I declare you to be justified in my sight. I declare you to be righteous in my sight. And so this, this justification is, is, God, is God looking at that substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf and saying, yes, just like that, that uh, idea of propitiation, the, mm-hmm. the satisfaction is, yeah, okay, this debt is paid in full. You are now legally justified in my sight. And he accepts mm-hmm. us as his children, he looks upon us as though we are washed clean, yep. no sin in our hearts, no, no anything. He views us with the righteousness of Christ. And this gets into imputation and things as well, where, where Christ gives us his righteousness mm-hmm. and, and he takes our sin upon himself. And so it is through that sacrifice that that legal declaration can be made. Yeah, it's uh, Romans 5, 9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. There it is. Yeah, there it is. What Westminster Confession uh, uh, says this, it says, uh, those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is the gift of God. Mm -hmm. Right. Amen. Yeah. So, so justified. <clears throat> Some people have said you can explain justification as just as if I'd never sinned. Uh, the problem with that is it doesn't go far enough, right? If we just, if our account, if our debt was just brought back to zero, we still go to hell. We need that positive righteousness. So justified is, it can be looked at as just as if I'd always obeyed because we need that positive righteousness. So the way to obtain that positive righteousness, because of what Christ has done, it is through our faith in what Christ has done, which Chris, as you just read, is a gift that's Mm -hmm. given to us by God. He gives us the ability to believe. And because it's a gift from him and our new nature, we do believe not. We might believe we, we possibly will believe we will believe. And then, Ken, I love how you, how you brought in there imputation. Uh, in our justification, looked at, looked at as though we had always obeyed because of our faith in him, we are, it, Christ's righteousness is imputed or it's credited mm-hmm. to our account. So now, 
when God looks at us, he looks, he sees Christ. He sees the righteous works of Christ as though we had always done them because why that substitutionary atonement were covered in the blood of Christ. We're covered in the sacrifice of Christ. The wrath is removed. We're justified by our faith. We're looked at as though we'd always obeyed. We're, we, we see God sees the positive righteousness. And then when he looks at Christ, he sees our sin paid for. Yeah. Romans chapter three, kind of, kind of the end of Romans chapter three, kind of wraps, wrap, wraps these last two points up for us wonderfully. Um, uh, and, and this is, this is starting in, and we'll start in verse 21, just cause it kind of completes the thought. Um, uh, but now apart from the law, uh, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration. I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by, faith, uh, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Boom, That's uh, Romans 3, 22 through 20, 21, 21 through 28. Nice. Good job, Chris. Now let's get into this bodily resurrection. Uh, because, uh, we are not, That's, we're awaiting that actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Uh, it's important that Christ rose bodily. Yep. Um, I, now the Sadducees didn't believe in a, in, in a resurrection. Uh, we believe in a resurrection, but why is in terms of the gospel, why is the resurrection now, but not just resurrection, because he didn't resurrect as spirit, uh, some kind of ethereal thing or force. He resurrected bodily. And, and for, our, for if you doubt us on that, just, you know, you can go to the resurrection accounts where the guards standing outside saw him. Uh, the, he appeared to, what, 500, over 500 people that saw him. Uh, but why, in terms of the gospel, why is that bodily resurrection so necessary? So this gets at the heart of uh, why these things are in the primary column to begin with. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says to the church in Corinth, I declared to you what was of first importance. The, that term first importance signifies something. If the plane, if you're in an airplane and it's going down and you stand up to announce something, you're not going to break out an end times chart. You're not <laughs> going to start arguing over uh pedo baptism. You, I know you're some gonna... post mills who might bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Planes going right. down. Hey, the kingdom's coming. <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. not coming. It's here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh Oh, we're getting derailed. Uh, the, it so the, um, the idea is that these things are of first importance. And what he goes on to say is that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried, and was raised according to the scriptures. And so when we consider its importance, 
we have to realize these things are rooted in prophecy. These things are rooted in what God has been doing right. since the fall and, and bringing history to this point that Jesus well, man, would uh, come. Do, do you mean that the Old Testament is, is still relevant to all oh, these yeah. things? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just so I can send a copy to Andy Stanley. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, I'm sure he's awaiting eagerly to a piece yeah. of mail. So scripture from from Genesis three, the the first gospel, uh, that you know there would be one born to the woman who was going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, yeah. Over time, through progressive revelation, as God was revealing more and more, it was all leading up to the fulfillment of the Christ who comes and lives a perfect life on our behalf, dies in our stead, and walks out of the grave. Paul, of course, right. continues that line of thinking in 1 Corinthians 15 to say, if he didn't walk out of that grave, none of, none of the rest matters. Uh, we are the most to be pitied. Everything else is canceled out if he is still dead. But because he walked out of the grave, he proved that he is who he said he was. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is God incarnate, the one whom we worship. Mm -hmm. Romans 1 verse 4 says that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Oh, yeah. Uh, go going back to, uh, you know... Um... To, to, to quote Dr. MacArthur, I always like to, uh, and, I, and I and Drew can attest to this. Whenever I whenever I preach, um, Drew always says it's very Puritanesque because there's just so much scripture. Um, you know what, what I say to that is, you know, wh why would I why would I want to put in anything else? I don't want to just I don't I don't want to just come back with well I don't want to say well the Bible says this. No, I I, I want you to see it. I want you to hear it and. Um, so, uh, my, my brother, Jeremy, um, started reading a, a wonderful passage of scripture that I think that, uh, that, that everybody, um, should, should, should seek to study the 15th chapter of Corinthians, um, where, uh, where, 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 you know, Paul, uh, unpacks here, um, the, the, the order of the resurrection, the importance of the resurrection, the mystery of, of the resurrection itself. Um, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's huge that we, that we understand that, you know, and, and Drew's going to perk up when I say this, because I'm going to talk about our victory that we have in Christ. If we don't have a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I'm saying that as a pre-mill, um, if we don't have a bodily resurrection of Christ, then there is no hope for us. Paul says that we are to be pitied first above all. Mm. So I, I, I flip to the end of first Corinthians 15, um, where, where Paul says this start in verse 15. Now I say this brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for this imperishable, this perishable, excuse me, must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, this and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, because of all of that, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil 
is not in vain in the Lord. No bodily resurrection, no victory. No bodily resurrection, no hope. That should encourage you and encourage believers everywhere that, that because Christ has been raised from the dead, he says in Revelation, behold, I hold the keys to death and to Hades. Mm -hmm. So the greatest enemy we now face is our own sin. We have victory in Christ. So for those who still to this day tried to deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, do, do not believe that. There is no hope if that did not happen. Number one, it did. Scripture says so. Mm -hmm. R.C. Sproul. He said he wanted to take that bumper sticker. Scripture says it. I believe it. That makes it so or whatever it is. He's like, it doesn't matter if I believe it. Scripture says it. That makes it so, period. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and if we deny the bodily resurrection, we are calling Christ a liar. Because Christ says in, in John 2, he's talking to the Pharisees. What does he say? He says, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. Right. And they were, they were confused about this, but John tells us, he says, but he was speaking to the resurrection of his body. He will raise himself. So if we deny the bodily resurrection, at the heart of it, we're calling Christ a liar. And if Christ is a liar, then he can't be God. Mm, but right. he's not a liar. He's God. I don't, I don't want to be he, around that person. He, he, I don't want to be yeah. around that person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's about to go down yeah. <laughs> if we're around right. someone and they right. say that. All right. Now, let's let's start. Man, I can't believe it's almost been an hour and we're Bro, still on the gospel. The gospel. Come on. <laughs> start man. talking about the gospel, man. We'd be here forever. Uh, let, let, so, so let's just start getting into moving through, you know, one or two of these um, and some of the, some of these other places well, before, before we do that, there are a couple okay. of highlights in, in uh, under dogma that I, I, I want to highlight. That's, that's incredibly important. Well, that's, that, that's where I was going. I was going. Oh, to okay. So, okay. Research. I thought you were going to move to secondary. My bad. My no, B, bro. No, my B, go ahead. No. You, you do you, bub. You I, do I, you. The, well, the first thing I was going to talk about is biblical inerrancy and authority. Cause I have a feeling you were going to add something to that. Just, just a couple of things. Well, I, I well, I, I, I've had a feeling you were going to throw in their sufficiency as well. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you can't biblical inerrancy and authority. Definitely biblical infallibility. Absolutely. Um, but, but, but there's something we, we are seeing the effects of right now mm -hmm. um, in, 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 you know, for the last year. Um, and that's the sufficiency of scripture, you know, coming up um, next week, we're recording an episode on the church. I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but um, and, and, and so for our listeners and, and for you guys, I'm going to give you a sneak peek at some sneak, sneak peek. I can't talk right now at, uh, at a section of my notes for next week. Um, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say look, there are some that truly hold to the inerrancy of scripture. There are some who truly hold to the infallibility of scripture. There are some who truly hold to the sufficiency of scripture in the church. There are, however, we cannot claim that we believe in and hold to the sufficiency of scripture if we also do not believe and live like we believe that it is the highest and absolute authority in all aspects of life, both inside and outside the church. And, uh, and that's been highlighted um, all throughout 2020, it's been highlighted for, you know, with people who were trying to bring, uh, the, these, these godless Satan filled ideologies like critical race theory and intersectionality into an analytical tool to, to, to try to interpret scripture. 
It's been highlighted by those who like J.D. Greer, who insists that only God, God only whispers about such egregious sins as sexual sins and, and homosexuality, and that we should fight for, and I quote, the rights of those that we disagree with as fiercely as we would support those to whom we agree with, period, close quote. And, and, and doing so, even when doing so, fighting for those, it gives hearty approval to the sins of Romans 1. And, and he's one that's closed down his church because he thinks you can just gather online. So, so, so when, when, the reason I, I, I'm jumping into all that right now is because that shows an incredible lack of believing in and on the sufficiency of scripture. Mm -hmm. Oh, are you using your handy size right now? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I saw that there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it reminds me of uh, Paul Washer, right? From, the, from uh, this past, uh, or G3 last year, and then the year before, where he, he says... Uh, you know, if you tell me you believe the inerrancy of scripture, the authority of scripture and the infallibility of scripture, I will yawn. He said, all those things mean absolutely nothing. If you don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture. Yep. yep. Good stuff. Uh, you know, there's, <clears throat> there are obvious friction points in this area in a variety of ways. So um, for instance, um, Wayne Grudem, Sam Storms, a variety of other well-respected believers who are also continuationists mm -hmm. or charismatics, depending on how you want to characterize them. How do you guys deal with them on this issue? Uh, well, first, because I'll let I, you go first, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you, cause I've actually dealt with some of their stuff in a paper I wrote on tongues um, that I'm stretching out into a larger work. Um but, you know, the first thing is guys like Sam Storms and Wayne Grudem, obviously you have to take what they say into consideration because they are well read. They, they deal um, very scholarly. They, they're very smart men. So the first yeah. thing you have to do is you have to take what they say and you have and you can't just react to it. You have to go, OK, because they said it, I need to actually think about it and I need to work through it. Um, but I would say in terms of like uh, Sam storms because in dealing with the tongues issue, um, and man, I wish, I wish you would have asked me that. And so I could have pulled up my notes, <laughs> but, uh, uh, <laughs> earlier, but in the way he deals with, with some of the, the issues on tongues, uh, as far as tongues in the church, uh, what he misses is the function and the role of the, what all those, those apostolic gifts played in the church. Uh, so they weren't, they were, they were first a judgment against Israel. Tongues were tongues was, they were a judgment against Israel and they were, right. they were, a, uh, an evidence of the grafting in of the Jews, but then in the church, what they were used is they were used to edify the church because you've got people coming from all over, all over the place, uh, how they were used, how they were functioned. Uh, if you, if you didn't have an interpreter, uh, tongues is always meant to have an interpreter. If you don't have an interpreter, then you are not to speak in tongues. Uh, so, but he kind of misses these things in there. So I would, I mean, I've read what he, what he has said on the subject, but I go, I, I, I don't think you're taking into the whole context, the cultural issue of what was going on in the church in that day. Um, so that's what I would say to him. So my, my response to that is, is this, um, and I'm, I'm going to be a little firmer, huh? A little what? Feisty. 
a little feisty. I'm what, not Chris. Feisty, Chris bro. doesn't ever get about? feisty. I don't ever get feisty. Um, Chris doesn't ever get feisty. I, 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 I do try to, I do try to be careful. I would also give him this book too by Merle Unger, which is yeah. really, really yeah. good. Um, I, I mean, so, so, so I, I'm not uh, very familiar with Sam Storm's work, um, uh, honestly, admittedly. Um, so, so I would, I would reserve for what I'm about to say for someone like a, like a Wayne Grudem or a John Piper. Um, uh, number one, uh, and, and Drew, no, Drew and I talk about this a lot because there are a lot of our brethren uh, who are uh, maybe a little younger, um, who have not been studying scripture as long as these guys have, um, who are very quick to go, I disagree with that. And I'm like, easy, easy. Number one, um, th they very well could be absolutely 110% wrong, um, but you need to be very, very careful um, uh, when, 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 when immediately jumping on something to Drew's point without taking a step back, without researching it. And, and, and here, here's the thing without being a Berean about it, without comparing what you're seeing, what's written with scripture. You know, I think of Martin Lloyd Jones, Martin Lloyd Jones says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing right now. Um, but, but he likes to say this, uh, or he has, he did say this. If you find, if you come up with a theology and you can only prove that theology by eisegeting a text of scripture, and it's in one place, you're doing it wrong. Start over. That is not biblical theology. If you cannot defend a doctrine in multiple places of scripture, you, you need to try again. So, so my, my critique about the tongues issue, my, my, my critique about the continuationists and the, those who have, have said that the sign gifts continue, I personally, and, 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 and I'm not the only one who feels this way, Dr. John MacArthur feels this way, Dr. Steve Lawson feels this way, Justin Peters feels this way, sign gifts and continuationist versus cessationist is a primary issue because it's a name of God issue. When, when, when we say that when we when we look at what we see in scripture and what is clearly shown in scripture as far as as far as the sign gifts ceasing because we have the scriptures peter says we have a more sure word than all of these things there's no need for them when you see to drew's point when you see tongues in the scripture in the new testament latter half of the new testament it's not a blessing and favor of god okay Literal languages, yes. We see that what happened at Pentecost. We see we 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 see the gospel, right? We just talked about the gospel is is preached and proclaimed in, in, in the languages of the people that were there. Okay, tongues from a sense of gibberish, tongues from a sense of unknown languages is not biblical and is a judgment of God. That is that is crystal clear in scripture. And I am of the opinion. Uh, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm in good company here and, and with scripture can back this up. This is a primary issue so, because it's a worship issue. It's uh, our first, our, our, our first call is to worship God with yeah. our lives. Go ahead. Sorry, bud. Uh, just so our, our uh, cards are on the table. We're cessationists too. Mm -hmm. But oh. um, <laughs> one year ago today, I was at Shepherd's Conference 2020 and Bob Coughlin was leading in song 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know how seriously John MacArthur makes it a primary issue. Yeah, Bob Coughlin <laughs> does consider himself a continuationist. Yeah, yeah, we right. we had him on the yeah. podcast and talked about it. Uh, it'll yeah. be coming out here soon, nice. and nice. he's very clearly uh, yeah. he wrote a prophetic song for John Piper, and we talked about that on the mm-hmm. show. So now, now, and talking about John Piper as well, um, John Piper is really it, it's interesting because John Piper has admitted that he will try to speak in tongues. But he also says he knows he's not doing that, that he knows he's not doing something. So at that point, it, it gets into, well, then why are you trying to, to do that? So, it, so here's, here's what we see in, in Christianity and the way we talk through this from the chart's perspective. I mean, the, the first thing to know is, you know, we write on the chart that these lists are not meant to be exhaustive. That's what's at the mm-hmm. bottom. You, right, there's all right, kinds right. of things you can list right. on all these. Oh, right. yeah. So, yep. um, but when it comes to the issue of biblical sufficiency, uh, in the continuationist cessationist conversation, mm-hmm. what we find is that there are faithful Christians who are inconsistent on this right. issue, and they mm-hmm. are Absolutely. still yeah. Orthodox Christians. Bob mm-hmm. Coughlin, John yep. Piper, Sam mm-hmm. Storms, uh, Wayne Grudem, they all mm-hmm. say that this this revelation they get from God through prophecies or tongues is not mm-hmm. on the same authority as Scripture. Yeah. They are inconsistent on that. That's wrong to say that. God only speaks one way. It's 100% authoritative every time he Amen. speaks. Yep. But uh, because of their inconsistency, they're orthodox. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. they were, well, yeah. and, and let me let me clarify yeah. too. When I say primary, when I say primary, I mean I'm not going to join a fellowship where that's practiced for me. That when I let, let me clarify primary for a minute. And that, I that's don't how mean we it, define our secondary. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I, I say that that's a primary issue for me. Yeah. I, I'm no, and, and I've done that in the past. I, I've, I, I was at a church where they were continuationist. I will not do that again. Yeah. Um, because well, that's the it's background a, I come out of is is charismatic. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But but yeah. So l- let me clarify that way. Now that does not mean that I would not share a platform with somebody like a John Piper. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I was just at the Founders Conference and and had a wonderful conversation with Bob Coughlin. I love Sovereign Grace. Um, but let me just say, I am not going to join a church and, 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 and become a member of a church where continuationists, um, that, 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 that theology is taught. Let me, let me clarify. And and I would agree that there are, like you said, those inconsistencies, um, those, those blessed inconsistencies. We all have them. We all have them. Yeah. We've, we've all got them. them. Um, but you know, and especially as someone that comes out of the, the charismatic movement, I spent, um, like eight years in the vineyard church. And every time I saw gifts or gifts and miracles and utilization of tongues and things, all it was, was, uh, it, it, it was, it was self-centered. It wasn't God glorifying. It was self-centered. Um, and that's one of the things you see with a lot of these modern day charismatic movements, you know, you can heal somebody, right? Just lay your hand, lay your holy hands on them and, and you pray and, you know, and God's going to use you to do it. The emphasis is always on you and God's the footnote. Um, so, but, and then, but once we actually get into the scriptures and we start looking, right, like say like healing, we see physical healings begin to stop in the, in the scriptures, right? Uh, Paul leaves, leaves Trophimus sick. Mm. Well, why didn't he heal him? Right. Uh, I mean, there, there comes a point where Peter's shadow doesn't heal people anymore. Uh, when Paul writes the, the pastoral epistles uh, to, to Timothy and Titus, why doesn't he include, you know, the utilization of tongues in the church? Well, because, you know, I believe at that point they had already ceased. 
there's there's no need for them. Otherwise, he would have included them in in how they should function in the church service and how Timothy should regulate that. Um, so we don't see things like that in the scriptures. Um, so I think that's a that's a good indication that that they have ceased. Uh, but but again, I, I do have one of my one of my real closest friends. Um, I actually use him a lot for uh, confiding in stuff and and kind of uh, asking advice. He, he's a charismatic. Um, he's still in the vineyard church. He's a, he's a youth pastor in the vineyard church. And I think he is one of the most faithful brothers that wants to do nothing but love God, uh, be, be as holy as a sinner can possibly be. And then point people to Jesus. Um, we have, we have wonderful conversations and he's someone that, that I would, I could never see, uh, disfellowshipping with or disassociating with. Um, and he's a charismatic, um, so yeah, <laughs> but I, I do agree. We all have those inconsistencies as well. And, and there are things that, uh, th- that we should not disfellowship over. And I think, and I think that's, that's one of the problems in, in the church is people want to, th- there are hard lines that need to be drawn, but as far as, uh, where do we say, I'm not going to fellowship with this person just because, I believe they have a wrong view of tongues. You know, I, I, I don't think that should happen. Now, my, my issue with Sam Storms wouldn't be the, the continuationism. My issue with Sam Storms would be kind of the woke theology portion um, that, that he's starting to dabble in. That would be because that more centers around a primary gospel issue right. because the CRT, the, the social justice and, and the woke theology deals with a false gospel that you have to import and you have to actually uh, show partiality to people. Uh, so you have to do away with the one true gospel and import a brand new gospel. That would be my point of contention with Sam Storms uh, more than, than the continuationist aspect. I wasn't aware that he was, he was going that direction in that area. That's, that's really sad. Yeah. So, but I think the, uh, there's an important aspect of you know, defining terms, you know, when, when, uh, right. when you said that these things are, are primary things for you, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Understanding what you mean by primary makes yeah. makes right. a big difference, right? Because right? yep. yep. when we, uh, from the perspective of the chart, when we're talking about the primary doctrine, we're talking about, am I going to brace this person as a brother? Right. Regardless right. of whether right. or not I'm going right. to join membership. Right. No, with no, that no. Person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and that and that's why I wanted to clarify because yeah, I did. Get, yeah. I did. To Jeremy's point, I did. I do get feisty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does. But no, 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 no. That, that that that's exactly why I wanted to clarify. Uh, yeah. Just because, yeah, I, I would not sit under leadership. Uh, that that's that's a that's a that's my primary concern. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, but yeah, I agree. Sweet. Let's move on. Uh, I, I want to get into one of these practices because this is a practice that we're starting to see, uh, especially in the SBC in terms of Beth Moore, gender roles. Why is the practice of proper gender roles important? Yeah, and for those who uh, are listening to this without the chart in front of them, we are in a column on a chart titled Primary (laughs) Doctrine. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) This This one isn't secondary. (laughs) Uh, And there are three sections within Primary Doctrine, Gospel Message, dogma which we were just in talking about mm-hmm. biblical inerrancy and authority and now practice the third section within primary doctrine and gender roles is listed there and yeah so g- gender roles um play out in two places the home and the church uh primarily um and in the home and in the church we have clear revelation from scripture 
rooted in the creation order that man is to be responsible. Uh, that can be heard and understood a couple of different ways. Um, one is man is responsible. That means, oh, all men are responsible men. They live their lives responsibly. Uh, that's actually not what we mean. We mean man is held responsible. Man is held accountable to lead, to provide, and to protect. So uh, in the home, as the husband and as the father, the man is to provide for and to protect his wife and his children. And in the church, there are supposed to be qualified men who lead in that regard as well. This is God's good design. It's called complementarianism. It is uh, the beautiful design of God, not just arbitrarily he created uh you know creature a and creature b and well creature a is going to lead because well he's creature a you know it's much more beautiful it's much more complex it's much more inspiring it's much more uh godly <laughs> righteous um that it would be this way god is telling us showing us something about his own nature through these roles that he gives Amen. and when it plays wow. out, it's, it's beautiful. And it's a picture of Christ in the church, uh, in the home as husbands love their wives and wives submit to their husbands. And, um, it is the way it ought to be. Uh, there's no way around it. Right now. I want to, th- I want, I, I want to throw this twist in there. What about, say you have a believing wife and an unbelieving husband, how do those roles still play out? So you have, so, so, um, I'm preaching so, on that next Sunday. I'm in first Corinthians seven. Perfect. So nice. Sunday, man. There, man. Nice. <laughs> right, man. Setting you up perfectly then. Cause, cause, cause we understand that the biblical, the biblical mandate for the man is he is to be the leader and the provider of his household. But what happens in a household where, where, where the man isn't being the leader, he's, uh, he's, he's, he may provide, you know, the monetary and material needs, but he's not providing the spiritual needs for the family. But the, the wife, and we see this a lot in America, many households that have believing wives that, that want to know Christ more and the husband could care less. How does this kind of function um, in, in kind of that, that dynamic? Well, it's, it, it's very difficult, right? These, these are very, very difficult life situations. And yet the word of God remains clear. Even when it's difficult, the word of God remains clear. You know, first Peter chapter three actually speaks directly to the issue of when you have a believing wife and an unbelieving husband and the responsibility is there. It remains that the, that the wife is still to submit to her husband, mm, even in right. the midst of an incredibly mm. difficult situation. Now, obviously, this gets qualified with all you know, the things that we always qualify things. If they're telling you to do something that is clearly violating a scriptural command, obviously, we're not required to submit in those areas. But uh, I'm just going to read the text. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without mm. a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see yeah. your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on a, of gold jewelry and the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Mm-hmm. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Wow. Word of God is clear. Amen, and, bro. 
to give you a little insight into at least for my world, we've got, I just pulled up our church roster. We've got 38 households uh, that make up our congregation. Uh, nine of those households out of the 38, um, the one of the adults comes without his or her spouse. And mm. seven of those are women who come because their husbands are unbelievers. So we have seven women we see on a regular basis who come without their husbands because their husbands don't believe, which mm. makes this conversation uh, just a part of our daily ministry here. Wow. Um, we have two, two things going on right now that are pretty intense uh, because husbands are, th- they're unbelieving husbands who are acting like unbelieving husbands. Mm. And uh, it's a very difficult counseling ministry um, because you don't, you can't change anything uh, in, in their home life. You, you just can't do it. But you can provide constant encouragement from the scriptures and prayer support. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I think, I think maybe one, you know, one more area you could add to that is, you know, so often you'll get the question, well, uh, you know, specifically speaking to gender roles and, and, and Drew, I think you mentioned Beth Moore, um, you know, what's, what, what, what is the call uh, of a, of a faithful godlo- godly woman in the church and, and um, you know, somewhere you can turn to, to, to look at that as Titus chapter two. Um, and, uh, and, and, and Paul says that, you know, but as for you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Um, and then in verse three, he talks about older men in verse two, but then in verse three says older women, like, uh, likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may instruct the younger women in sensibility to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be slandered. Uh, and then Paul moves into talking about, you know, likewise urge the younger men to be sensible um, and, and moves into speaking there. And so, so there is a role, there is an absolutely, absolutely an important and crucial role for, for women in the church. Um, and speaking of John MacArthur, I remember him speaking uh, after the whole Beth Moore go home debacle uh, <laughs> after the truth matters conference and he, he unpacked that 1 Corinthians 7 and talked about women pastors, but then wrapped it up with a wonderful encouragement and, and to, to speaking to the, the women at Grace and how they are the glue that, that holds that place together. Um, and, and so there is an incredibly important role um, uh, for, for women in church as well. Um, and, 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 and to your point, um, uh, Ken, I love what you said. It, it is the word of God, period. It is, it is, and Jeremy, I like the way you said that it is a beautiful and it's a wonderful design. Uh, these gender roles, the way that God, why would you want to step outside of what the creator has laid out? Why would you want to step outside of his plan? Um, especially in his church. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but how many times do, do, do professing Christians, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? Well, read the word. It's there. That is the will of God for your life. So yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd point that out as t- Titus 2 was, was pretty good. Amen. Yeah. And men that are listening, your wife has a role. She is first to be your helper, right? Go all the way back to Genesis. Adam needed a helper. He did not have a helper fit for him. So God fastened for him from his own rib, a helper suitable for him. Your, your spouse is your helper. Uh, Don't think that just because you are the man, you must do everything on your own. Your wife is your your fellow uh, worker. 
she she's she's created in a way to work as well and she is your partner your co-worker so i just want, wanted to throw that out there in the way that god has has designed women in their role like like you guys have said it's a beautiful thing you know yeah jeremy i love the way you said that man yes uh women don't look at being a woman as a bad thing no. like don't look to try to be a man be a woman because it's it's a beautiful thing one of the things i'm going to talk about this sunday is how you know the world can view christian marriages as like a slave master and a slave, the husband's right. the slave driver and the wife's the slave. When in reality, a biblical marriage is two servants just serving yes. one another. And what a worldly marriage is, is two masters fighting with each other. So uh, what God's design is much more beautiful than whatever the world has to offer. Bro, you're going to have to say that again. Please yeah. say that again. <laughs> yeah. So, so in, in, in God's design, it's not a slave driver and a slave, but you've got two servants trying to fight to wash each other's feet um, constantly in every area of life. And you're really left with two servants. Whereas if you go out into the world and you try to do a godless marriage, you're going to end up with two slave drivers whipping each other. Man. That's, that's good, man. That's it, bro. Yeah, I feel pretty good right about there. my sermon for Sunday. Thanks for the afternoon. You should, brother. You should. <laughs> Please send me the link to that when you get done. I want to hear that. That's yeah, good. Yeah. That was good. All right. Let's move into the second column. Let's move into secondary doctrine. Um, now, uh, Ken, uh, explain kind of what you got going on with secondary doctrines. Yeah. So in secondary doctrine and, and just to explain a little bit, you know, when we broke these into, into columns, we got primary doctrine and secondary doctrine. We have chosen to avoid the language of essential doctrine and non-essential. A lot of people mm -hmm. like to use that language. We avoid that because we believe that all doctrine is essential. If it's truth Amen. that God has revealed, it is essential. Amen. But there are things that are of first importance. That's the primary category we just talked about. And there are things of secondary importance. And that's the, uh, the, third, the second column here. And these are convictions that affect ministry with others. So when we talk about who we're going to lock arms with in ministry, what churches we're going to join, who we're going to partner with when we have you know, cross-church collaborations, who are we going to partner with? These things are going to impact and affect that. We see how that plays out. <clears throat> You know, we see all the different denominations that exist within Christianity. Now, many of those denominations violate primary doctrine, but there are many denominations that are that are firm and faithful in primary doctrine, but they have different ideas and different approaches in things in the secondary column. This is as a result of, of hermeneutical differences. We're approaching the text with, with a slightly different hermeneutic in, in various key texts that lead to mm -hmm. different understandings of these things. Right. So and we just talked about that a little bit with the sign gifts right there. Yep. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. And so we've kind of broken, we've, you know, just like the first column, we subdivide that into three categories. We've subdivided this secondary column into two categories. The first is worldview shaping. These are, these are doctrines that they, they change the way you think about so many aspects of the Christian life. This is, again, all doctrine is essential. It's all important. Mm -hmm. It has a dramatic impact on how you view a variety of things. And, and so we have that list there. And then there's the methodology, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. Um, but that's just how we practice a lot of things within the church. A lot of it is within the church. Like, you know, in, in the primary column, we didn't talk a whole lot about uh, some of these things in the practice, but we see the necessity of baptism, the necessity of communion, et cetera. 
Well, in the secondary column, we have, okay, how do we, how does that play itself out? Are we yeah. cradle Baptists or pedo Baptists? We baptizing babies or are we baptizing those who profess faith in Christ and things like that? So, well, I can tell you who are not locking arms with is those daggum dispensationalists. Like, <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> yeah, I see. Uh, I see the Bible knowledge commentary on your bookshelf back there, Drew. Uh-oh. So you must yeah. be uh, dispensational yourself, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, that you was know, a... the second person we've had on. You are. Tom Buck pointed that out too. <laughs> that was uh, that was a textbook from seminary. So I had uh-huh, to get sure, it because sure. I. <laughs> and you've seen it. fit to keep it on your shelf. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I have nothing else to go in that spot. Jeremy, look, bro, <laughs> when, when, when they start going off uh, about being theonomists and uh, I'm, I'm calling you. OK, yeah, that's right. <laughs> bro, I don't go off about about. No, that. no, 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 not, not, not Drew. OK, the others, yeah. <laughs> the, others. <laughs> the others. Now, uh, I love those guys. They know I'm kidding. Uh, let's get into some of this now. Age of the Earth. Because some people would say that this this could actually um, not just a hermeneutical thing, but, you, you know, once we start actually looking at, you know, does the how we view the age of the earth uh, matter in terms of, um, you know, the the reliability of of what God has said. Right. You know, because I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming all of us here are six day creationists. Um, yep. And but also uh, would believe in kind of a young earth, maybe. Yep. Yep. OK, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> there. We, but there are there are are groups that believe would believe in the old earth. So so to where, you know, a day is like a million years, you, <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure William Lane Craig might fall in there as well. Um, but but. What would we say to, to those who m- might say that's that that probably should be in the in the primary um because that that definitely i i mean at least i would say deals with what god has said and how he has done things into the nature of god does that if we view it, do we view a literal six day and then the age of the earth uh, you know counting back um or uh do we go with you know modern scientists who say the the earth has to be millions of years old and then incorporate that into the scriptures. Do we view the scriptures through that lens? Yeah. The the first thing we, the first thing we feel when we enter the second column is discomfort because this is where people really start getting (laughs) different than us. Right. Right. And uh, that discomfort's good. Um, We should have convictions on these things Mm -hmm. and we should wrestle with those convictions. Um, When we talk about the age of the earth and how that is, you can agree to disagree on the age of the earth. We are of course, excluding the idea of evolution. So just so we're all clear on that, okay. Uh, okay. you know, evolution's off the table. If there is no literal Adam, then you lose the mm. gospel. Uh, you right. Yep. Yep. Right. So, um, so when it comes to the age of the earth, there are some who want to hold to, of course, biblical creation in the sense that God created Adam and Eve. The first two human beings were created. However, the earth is older and there's some kind of gap theory thing going on or whatever. And what you were just alluding to, Drew, about, okay, are the are now the scientists your hermeneutical grid? Are you viewing scripture through right. the lens of godless science? Because mm. uh, if you start doing that and carry that out, wh- where are you headed? And that should make all of us uncomfortable. Um, mm. But there are some that seek to hold that position, like perhaps William Lane Craig or um, that Tim Keller I had caught in my throat. So <laughs> there's uh, there there's an element uh, there of openness where someone 
can, okay, so you're going to hold to the literal Adam and Eve. You're going to hold to, you know, the, all the elements that really mm-hmm. do affect primary. You're going to mm-hmm. be biblical on those, but then you're going to hold with an open hand. If the days were literal 24 hour periods, I don't get it, but that's where mm-hmm. some people land. And we, I think we have to be able to say that's okay. It's weird, but it's okay. Yeah. And this is where we would also argue that they're being inconsistent. Yeah. Right. And, right. and you know, I had, um, I had a professor in Bible college who didn't subscribe to an old earth in the sense of millions of years, but, but he believed it was anywhere from 10 to 50,000 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and he gave his reasons for that. And Which I, one I, was that? Dr. Miller, oh, Keith Miller. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Old Testament. Yep. He was, he was just explaining that. And, uh, where he was also leaving off, he says, this is not enough time for evolution. I don't believe that, but it just, it just looks like, it just looks like the earth is older than, than 7,000 years. Like it just, it just looks old, older than that. Mm-hmm. And, that and he was knows that re- because he is 7,000 years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess the ones that are just kind of barely trekking along are the ones you do want to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, you know, and I, we would argue again that, that he was being inconsistent, like, okay, mm-hmm. are, are we going to accept what the Bible says as, as it's presented, or are we going to bring in, you know, the scientific community into our hermeneutical process? You know, how, how mm-hmm. do we wrestle through that? And, but he, again, he, he denied theistic evolution and he was very firm on original Adam and Eve and, and all of those mm-hmm. sorts of things. He just, thought that the earth was anywhere from 10 to 50,000 years old. Right. So as long as we don't lose those, those necessary aspects of Adam and Eve, the, yes. the, the sinfulness, you know, why we need the atonement, um, as long as we don't lose those, those, those stay fully intact. There, there's some leeway. Um, yeah. That, that, that we can, there's grace that we can and, give in that. And biblical inerrancy and authority, because obviously mm-hmm. once you go to the evolutionary side of things, you're saying Genesis one and two is all made up poetry. Right. right. And right. we're talking about people who still hold the Genesis one and two as being inerrant and authoritative. Mm-hmm. They have a different hermeneutic and they're looking at it kind of weird, but right. at least they're holding to the inerrancy and authority still. And right. they're comfortable saying that. Right. Whereas you start going farther and farther down the road and and you're denying dogma, Christian dogma, right. and you're yeah. no longer definitionally a Christian. Right. That's like what we were, you, you were, uh, commenting on that, uh, apologetics live last Sunday, right? With mm. where, where they were looking at that, that preacher with, uh, uh anti-science. Hmm. You're talking to me. Cause I don't know if that yeah. was me. I thought Maybe. I saw you commenting on there on YouTube. Yeah, that could have been. Yeah. Sometimes I jump in just to try to throw Andrew off or. Well, Andrew wasn't there. It was just (laughs) Dr. Silvestro. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. I may have. I don't know. I thought I I, saw you on there, but. uh, I make lots of comments. I forget half of (laughs) (laughs) them. Now, the next one you have on here, I think is. I'm sorry. I I want to make one last comment before we move on. Uh, We talked about a little, little bit about this off air, but. Across the top of the chart, we have a, a sentence, and we really mm-hmm. believe this is a critical and important sentence. Mm-hmm. Primary doctrines should not be violated by other doctrines. These objective truths inform and limit convictions and conscience matters. That's why when we start talking about these things in this in the secondary column, things like age of the earth, yeah. when, we, when we're giving room for some of these things that, that we find to be inconsistent or we find to be a little bit strange, mm-hmm. As long as they're not being, as long as whatever the secondary doctrine is, is not violating 
things in that primary column, we're giving the grace for that position. But once it starts infringing on that, no, you know, we are, we stand firm on these primary truths. Right. Now, one of the, the places we see uh, huge inconsistencies, blessed inconsistencies is in, is in the next, the next uh, topic, Calvinism and Arminianism, right? Because we, we would say, you know, and we were talking, we were talking offline about extremes, right? You go, you take Calvinism to its extreme, you know, the, uh, uh, hyper-Calvinist, that we would say that's a heresy. You take Arminianism to his extreme, you get uh, universalism, which is why the Arminians were kicked out after uh, the Synod of Dort. Um, but a lot of Arminians would actually, if you were to, you know, just kind of run generically run through the doctrines of grace, they would they would hold to total depravity. Um, rightly, un, rightly explained unconditional election. They would they would agree with. They would agree with irresistible grace, the perseverance of the saints. They really would just have a problem with limited atonement. Um, but if you were to if you were to say, okay, well, you know, do you pray for your lost family members? What do you pray? Do you pray, you know, Lord, let their free will, you know, guide them into salvation, or do you pray, Lord, save my family member? Right. So we would see some of those blessed inconsistencies. But uh, my friend that I was that that I was referencing earlier, who who is a charismatic, he holds to an Arminian worldview, but inconsistently. And I'm thankful for that because one of the things that he does is he challenges me. Uh, he'll send me he'll send me a question, and sometimes you know I'm I'm up on my Calvinistic theology, on my Reformed theology, but sometimes I'll go I'll have to go. Let me get back to you. I because I, 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 I really want to think about this question that you're asking and I want to make sure I'm explaining it uh, properly. Um, so he challenges me, but I challenge him as well. It, one of the beautiful things about secondary doctrine disagreements like this is, as you're saying, I've got this friend, he's a great guy and he's an Arminian, but he's inconsistent. And I love that. He's in another conversation somewhere in the world right now saying, I've got this friend, he's a Calvinist, but he's <laughs> yeah. inconsistent. He shares the gospel. Yeah. He, he proclaims the good right. news. Right. And, yeah. and that's his perspective. And, right. and you know, uh, we have to recognize that the things that we have in common are more important than mm -hmm. the things that we don't have in common in this right. regard because we're meeting sure. in, in the most important aspects of Christianity. That's right. That's right. Now, I will say, uh, I believe he's starting to come to a more understanding of a Reformed theology, uh, which is good. I say, great. Now you're not a heretic anymore. Just joking with him. But uh, nice. um, but no, I mean, again, he's, you know, a lot of these people that we would say are many that we would call Arminians, um, they believe wholeheartedly the gospel. Another problem is Calvinism. Calvin, the, the People in the Reformed camp can be just as can, can turn Calvinism into an idol mm. oh, to where you're worshiping predestination and election. You're worshiping uh, all these great uh, Reformed doctrines. It becomes an idol and then it becomes a stumbling block and then you never get out of the cage. So, 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 so we would, we, I think we would say Calvinism is, is uh, the accurate theolo theological view, but at some point you can't stay in the cage forever. You can't continue to beat everyone over the head with, 
with, with predestination and election that, you know, the doctrines of grace, uh, you know, those things, you can't beat people over the head. You have to have grace. Well, you, they're called the doctrines of grace. Yeah. Yeah. And ironically, people forget that grace portion. They forget to live out that grace portion. Some of the, some of the worst evangelists for Calvinism are Calvinists. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly well, right. and that's, uh, you know, I go back to the conversation I told you guys I had today with, you know, with a coworker who's, who's reading that book by Richard Dawkins. And, and he was referencing something that Richard Dawkins said in there, uh, you know, that the burden of proof, um, the, the, the burden of proof lies on those trying to prove the existence of God. Um, and, and with this guy that I work with, I mean, that, that's always been the case. And so, but he's like, you're different in that, in the fact that, um, you know, the burden of proof does you, you don't talk like the burden of proof lies on you. And I'm like, well, because it doesn't, it, God exists. Scripture is, is, is sufficient, is infallible. It is inerrant. I, I know that you, you know that, you know, God exists. You are denying he exists. I'm not trying, I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm not going to beg and plead with you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm going to, I'm going to admonish you and, 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 and I'm going to leave the results up to our sovereign God, who is the one who saves. It is that monergistic work of him, uh, um, you know, and at reference Corinthians, you know, our gospel is veiled because the, the, to, to those it's veiled is because they've, their eyes have been blinded by, by the God of this world. Um, and, and, and so Ken, to your point, you're right. Some of the worst evangelists for Calvinism are Calvinists and, mm-hmm. um, the, the 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 gracelessness that is shown and and uh is is astounding um to you know it, it's it's just because you are of the elect doesn't make i mean that that should humble you <laughs> that mm-hmm. that that should make you fall to your knees and 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 realize your position that a, apart from god's salvific work and regeneration of your heart um you you are on a crash course, like I said earlier, willingly on your way to hell. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we know, we know George Whitfield and John Wesley, you know, they, yeah, uh, they, they argued over this. Right. But uh, I, I think it was when Wesley died, someone yeah. asked George Whitfield, they said, you know, do you think he's in heaven? And I, I believe the response, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he, he said, you know, when I get, when I get to heaven, we're not even going to be able to see him because he's going to be so close to the throne of God. Mm. Right. I mean, two men that differed over this very issue, right? yeah. but then you have one saying about the other because yeah. of who they were and the way they lived and their love for, for Christ. I'm not even going to see him. I'm going to be so far in the back. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to see him. Yeah, here's that quote. Uh, somebody asked him, uh, "Do you think we'll see?" Uh, uh, well, actually, it says that um, um, it, it was it was Wesley, was it Wesley? about Whitfield. Okay, yeah, I always said, get them reversed. Yeah, do do you think we shall see Mr. Whitfield in heaven? Uh, no, uh, John Wesley said, "I, I do not. I, I think he will be so near to the throne, and you and I so far away that we shall not get within sight of him." Yeah, uh, Ken and I did an episode with another Christian podcast community uh, podcast, Revived Thoughts, um, with whom we went to Bible college also. Man, Um, I I just got to say, I love their reading of old sermons. It's awesome. And I I do think it's funny sometimes when they try to do voices (laughs) in a different voice. (laughs) We we did... 
we did an episode on Whitfield and Wesley with them on our, on our show. So um, if you guys, anybody listening wants to hear more about that, you can just Google do theology, revive thoughts, Whitfield, Mm -hmm. Wesley, and you'll find it. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Let's get to, to another one um, in this section that is very controversial. uh, And that's the dealing with the end times right now. I think there's one we would say, that uh, th- there's only one that is view that's heretical, and that's the the full preterist view, because the full preterist view says that Jesus has already returned. Um, we would say no, because that deals in the primary category with the bodily return of Christ that has not happened yet. Um, but a lot of people make a lot of uh, a lot of fuss over the end times, uh, right? Especially uh, post mills. Uh, where everything is about post-millennialism. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got these, these pre-mills that are, that are inconsistently holding to post-mill doctrines. Oh gosh, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, did saying, you guys know that believing it's... in the victory of Christ is, is just a post-mill view? I'm just saying, I'm just yeah. want to put that out there. Just, just, just throwing that out there. So again, yeah. man, we see these blessed inconsistencies yeah. <laughs> where they're not just biblical, but they actually make sense in this particular doctrine. But man, I just, People make such a fuss about the end times. Well, people love speculative things. So there are TV shows that are about angels. There are books that are sold about what heaven is like. Uh, We see this type of thing over and over again because people love to be curious in the speculative things. And end times, to a degree, has that aspect where people are just caught up in wanting to talk about the speculation of it all. And... To that point, uh, we need to be very cautious uh, because we're really acting like pagans uh, mm. when, we, when we do such a thing. All of our conversations need to be centered around the word of God. Amen, bro. Nice. There's a reason he's a preacher, folks. There's a reason he's a preacher. I'm just saying. <laughs> he's thought about these things, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> you, you know, I was, this is such a good topic to talk to, to, to talk about in the secondary uh, column, just because I was talking the other day with someone that holds to the all mill view. And they were, they were asking me about a passage of scripture in revelation and they wanted to view it from the post-millennial view. They were working on a sermon and they said, well, how would the post-millennial view this? Um, I hold to the all mill position and and this is how I kind of see it. And I said, I said, brother, I said, don't think you have to view it through the post-millennial lens. If you have the all millennial conviction, then hold to the all millennial conviction. There are so many faithful brothers in Christ, right? John MacArthur, uh, R.C. Sproul. Uh, you, you, you've got people across the board that hold to different end times views that are going to look at this particular passage uh, differently. Now, I, I said th- there is a sense where this could be futurist view. And it was, it was revelation 19, right? Jesus coming on the white horse. And I said, because it talks about the marriage feast. So the bride is ready for the marriage, right? The church right now, the church is the bride, but is the church ready for the marriage ceremony? No. So this is at a time looking at a time where the bride is prepared and ready for the marriage. 
Now, the post mill view would say, well, this is referring to, you know, something in 70 AD. It, it was accomplished by then because, um, you know, when Christ comes back in the futurist view, he's not going to come on a white horse. It doesn't say he's coming on a white horse with a sword in his mouth, right? He, this is a Christ coming for war. So he came 70 AD uh, coming for war. Uh, and I said, but don't think you have to hold to that view. Just because you you have friends or whatever you know that that hold to that view, hold by your conviction of of the amillennial view. Don't think you have to cater to somebody else. Or better okay. yet, be biblical and you'll be premillennial. <laughs> he beat okay. me to it. Um, he beat me to it. Dang it! You guys can't see me, but I was just pointing at Ken. I was like, yes. Um, you know, I mean, I, I would I would go. I, I would okay, say this, Andrew. Jeremy Jeremy just brought up a great point, right? He said, "When we're so focused on, on, on the end times, and we're so focused on the speculative, we have to be careful that it doesn't become pagan." Can I add something there and just say we have to be careful that we don't we don't end up desiring to be overly pragmatic either, mm -hmm. right? I mm -hmm. mean, we don't need to if, if we're approaching a passage of scripture from the framework of a secondary doctrine. And that's the framework to which we're, we're, we're interpreting authorial intent and, and, and interpreting what we're looking at. We have to be very careful with that because, because then it could be, we can end up eisegeting it instead of exegeting it. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so we just, uh, instead of, you know, uh, I mean, and, and Ken nailed it instead of trying to, trying to, you know, bend to one side or another, as far as we're talking about specifically in times, just <clears throat> desire just, just uphold the text, mm -hmm. let yeah. the text speak. And, and, and there's so many cases where it's not as clear as we want it to be. And right, there are so right many now. cases when it doesn't sure. go as far as we want it to go. Mm -hmm. and right. There are so many paradoxes in scripture where there's an already not yet element that we just have to live with. <laughs> right. And, and we, we have to be content with what God gives us. We can't force Amen, our bro. framework on the right. text. Yeah. Yep. I, I like how you said that there there's, no, there's places where it doesn't go as far as we want it to go. Well, if it doesn't go as far as we want it to go, we don't have the right to take it where we want to go to That's stretch right. it out. Yep. Yeah. Amen. Great. Um, yeah. I took 10 minutes. 10 minutes. We got 10 minutes. We got 10 10 minutes. minutes. Yeah. A whole, yeah. Another column left. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're moving right over into that column <laughs> right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> but no, I was just going to say this guy that when I tell him, talk to him about his sermons and things like that. I, I the only thing that you need to, that you really need to focus on is, are you showing people Christ in your sermon mm. through the text that you're preaching? Show them Christ, give them the gospel, right? Your introduction is your takeoff. Your ex, your exposition of the text is your navigation. And then your, your gospel is your landing the plane. Are you landing the plane? That's what I, that, that's what I, I tell him. Um, so now let's get into this third column, doubtful things. Ken, guide us through the doubtful things. Yeah, so a lot of times when we start talking about doubtful things, sometimes you get a people people get a funny look on their face. Doubtful things. Well, that's that's specifically coming from the the New King James translation from Romans 14, <laughs> uh, where it says to, not to argue about doubtful things. I think the we are not Byzantine guys. We just yeah, like yeah. the phrase. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> the, the New American Standard I think says uh, opinions. So yeah. doubtful things just sounds cooler. It does. Yeah, LSB has opinions too, which would. Makes sense. Yeah. 
<clears throat> and so the ESV also says not to quarrel about uh, opinions, right? So, so that's that's the thing. These are conscience matters. These are these are issues that 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 we wrestle with within ourselves. Uh, we, these are things that these might affect our our friendships with people, but we can have different views on this and still be members of the same church, right? We can we can view things differently here. Um, these things are to be discerned individually as the spirit will bind and loose Christian consciences differently. These are matters of wisdom and foolishness, not inherently right or wrong. And so there's, this is, this is when we talk about, you know, there are the lists above are not intended to be exhaustive. <laughs> this is the column where this is probably <laughs> true the most, where it's like, there are so many things that could be on this list, but there's a representative sample there. Look, man, you've got tattoos on there and I'm just going to say, they need to be in the primary category because <laughs> tattoos are sinful. Oh, yeah. I'm trying says, to, I'm, try, I'm really trying to get my tattoos in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, what's really funny is I had, I was in a small group one time and a lady asked me and I'm wearing short oh, sleeves. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, she yeah. said, she said, so what are your thoughts on tattoos? And I said, well, obviously I'm a fan. <laughs> Uh, I, I have no problem with them. Uh, but then I, she said, well, did you get them before you became a believer? I said, no, I got every one of them after I became a believer. But then I had to go back and walk her through the context of, of what that verse meant about tattoos. <laughs> yeah, the, the Nazarene vow. Is that where she went? Number six? Is that what she was basing it off of? Or what was? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and, and some people, when they first get introduced to the chart and they see what we, what we got going on here, it might look like, well, why does, why is this on a doctrines chart? And let's face it because of the existence of legalism, all sorts of uh, Pharisees that are running around in our churches, especially in the West, but uh, particularly America, these issues become matters of doctrine in so many churches. They mm -hmm. get elevated to primary status. Whereas something like penal substitutionary atonement is an old theological word that we don't talk about anymore. Right. So we have to have this on there to keep our balance as we approach, not just doctrine on paper, but Christian living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, now, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ken. I was just going to say one more thing that, that is, is crucial when we're approaching this third column. Sometimes we think of it, oh, these things are, these things are conscious matters. They, they don't matter. It's just pick one and it's fine. And we would say, no, <laughs> these, these, there's a tremendous amount of, of biblical wisdom that needs yes. to be applied as right. you make yes, decisions absolutely. in these areas. These right. things absolutely matter. And it's, our consciences are are right there. They're a part of all of this, but they matter incredibly. So and I'm glad that you said that because the, the very first one is alcohol. Yes. Right? And, and, and th this isn't just saying, well, it's a conscious matter. So if you don't have a problem with drinking, go ahead and drink it up. Well, no, well, while you can't make a, a biblical case that says you should not drink, you can actually make a biblical case that says it's okay to drink. But the wisdom and how we yes. use that mm -hmm. is, is vitally important because drunkenness very much is prohibited. Absolutely. Yeah, and, that's and that's where, go yeah, ahead, Jeremy. You were going to say the same thing I was going to say. Yep. The, the line at the top, all of these things are limited by what is primary. So biblical morality yep. would hedge a lot of these things that are listed yes. here. Yes. Um, and yep. so it's not just wisdom. It's the revealed word of God. And then within the bounds of our freedom, then we are to apply wisdom. That's right. That's right. Now, uh, one of the things you got on there that I absolutely love is clothes because Chris and I very much are convicted, especially on Sundays. 
about uh, our appearance through clothes. And we have been uh, in a roundabout way called out from, from stages because we like to wear a suit and a tie. Um, it's, it's our personal conviction. And just because we believe meeting on Sunday is the most important meeting you're ever going to have because you're meeting, you're coming to meet with the King of Kings, right? Many people right? we live in the South, many, many crazy Trump supporters down here that would sell off their good trailer for a suit, um, to go meet, you know, Donald Trump. Right. But they'll show up, you know, in their hunting camo, just coming out of a tree stand uh, on Sunday. Uh, so you just made a whole <laughs> lot of people mad. <laughs> I really did, bro. That's okay. That's, that's what we do. Remember the intro says we say things others are too uh, afraid to say. There, you, there go. you go. So, but, but we've been called out just because we, we want, we have by a conviction, a conscious conviction chosen how, how we're going to, to represent ourselves and dress when we come before Christ. I recently converted to team suit, by the way. So, um, past several Sundays, uh, except for the Sundays I'm not preaching, then I'm just collared shirt and khaki still, but it's okay. Uh, yeah. It's okay. No. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm out here in the West, we have a lot of Calvary chapel background people mm. and, uh, socks means dressing up for them. Right. So, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> and that's, we have to, we have to recognize they're free to do that. Right. It, it's sure, a, yeah. it's a personal conviction and a wisdom issue yep, and we yep. give each other grace and freedom. Yeah. Now we give each other grace because of the freedom that was won for us. Amen. Amen. Well, we are running out of time and uh, I know there's probably a whole lot more we could get into. And I'm sure a lot more things we would love to just have fun with talking about on here because it's been a blast so far. Um, but uh, we're going to have to, we're going to have to call it there, but uh, we want to thank our guests for joining us, Jeremy and Ken uh, give out your information, tell people where they can find you socials and all that stuff. Yeah, the main thing is our website, dotheology.com. And, and this chart that we've been referencing, we make that available as a free PDF download. You can get it in color. You can get it in black and white. So dotheology.com slash chart. Uh, but then even from the website, you can branch off to all of our, you know, we are on YouTube. We're on all the podcasting platforms. You can find us all there. Um, you can contact us. We have a Twitter handle at dotheology, real simple. So yeah, love to hear from you. Yep. And we're going to make this chart available in the show notes as well. Uh, but with that, we are going to get out of here and we will catch you guys on the next one.